everyone, I'm Alicia. Hi, I'm Shelby. We are Super Into It, a Marvel Watch podcast. And we are super into Loki. Not Falcon and Winter Soldier, Shelby. Loki. We made it. Hi everyone, welcome back to Super Into It. We're really excited. We are finally shifting gears from Falcon and the Winter Soldier to Loki. This series uh, is one that's particularly exciting for Shelby and I. We have been big fans of Loki for many years since his debut in the 2011 movie Thor. And this is such a prolific character for us. I think we all can remember what our first impressions were, but we thought before we get into our dissection of The Glorious Purpose, episode one of the Loki series, that we would just discuss kind of what our first impressions with Loki Lafayson was. So Shelby, what do you remember most the first time you laid eyes on Tom Hiddleston as Loki? <laughs> Honestly, probably that there was like a lot of like moose in his hair and I was just distracted. There were a lot of choices in that Thor movie though that were questionable. I mean, the eyebrows... Yeah, honestly, which is ironic considering this episode, or maybe not ironic, maybe just, like, perfect, is that movie, like, didn't Kenneth Branagh, like, direct that, the first Thor movie? I mean, that sounds right. Yeah, I feel like that Thor movie is, like, very Shakespearean and, like, very theater-driven, and so is, like, this first episode of Loki with, like, all of its monologues and everything. So I feel like we've come full circle. But I, I don't know, I didn't really have a first impression of Loki because I was not someone who was, like a fanatic of the character like a bunch of people hopped on that train early and i was not one of them all of tumblr in 2011 yeah like i saw all of that and i didn't get it to be honest i didn't really hop on the loki train until ragnarok because he was a little much and i'm sure we'll get into that when we talk about this episode and where he's at as like a character but yeah i am glad that Taika Waititi came in and did what he did for the character, is what I'll say. What was your yeah. first impression? Let me let me rewind. I also <laughs> was immediately blown away by Tom Hiddleston. He was the only thing that alerted me to the character because I didn't like the character, but I liked Tom Hiddleston's performance. So I was willing to give him a chance because how great Tom is and, and like his chemistry with Chris Hemsworth is really great but I wasn't like a fan of like the character at his core but I wanted to I wanted to I wanted to like him because of Tom and Chris and then you kind of did yeah and then I eventually time did. went on yeah what about you mine's kind of similar like as far as first impressions go Thor didn't leave like a huge impression on me in the MCU. It didn't exactly make me want to like jump headfirst into anything Marvel was creating next. I think this was a issue with the first phase um, after Iron Man. These movies, even Captain America the First Avenger, it took years for me to understand the importance of that film and what made it good. Um, at the time, I think just the back-to-back -back films of Thor and Captain America and Iron Man, they started to blend together for me. And Thor was the weaker of the of the three at the time. And I remember Chris Hemsworth being really funny in that movie and really enjoying, like, his comedic bits with, like, you know, when he throws the glass on the floor and he screams, like, another. I love that. <laughs> and I vaguely remember watching that movie because my mom really thought Chris Hemsworth was hot, which was a valid reason to watch anything. It's how we watch 
most movies these days. That's how I watched Aquaman. So in terms of Thor, Loki was really just a villain to me. I, I like mm. the dynamic of him being Thor's brother, but I don't really remember him making a huge impression on me in that film. Um, I think I liked him more than Thor at the time. Like, he d I definitely gravitated towards him, but I needed to see more because he was a lot, but not in, like, a, a super fun way that I wanted to get on board with that quite yet. Um, I think that Avengers was really when it, like, hit. And I think that was the case for a lot of people when, when he was the villain of that film. I was really worried, I remember at the time, like, them picking him as the, as the only real villain of that film to to go up against how many Avengers that they had already established. But, I mean, like, Tom Hiddleston, he owned that movie. Like, I to this day, I still don't know if the movie was actually that good or if Tom Hiddleston just made it look that mm. good because he worked, like, every one of those scenes, even with the weird spiky black hair. So, yeah, I and I do think that Taika Waititi really just, like, cracked that character open in ways that, like, really defined and and really closed off that redemption arc for him in ways that when you look back now he's one of the more defined characters of the whole mcu so i think loki was one of those really cool villain stories where we actually got to see him grow through all the mcu projects which we didn't necessarily get to see with the other characters and by the end i was kind of like in love with just the way he carried himself so yeah i think he grew on me but as far as first yeah. impressions go, it wasn't, like, the most amazing. So I think it's funny that we've kind of amounted to, like, this series now. And yeah. there's so much, there was so much hype around this series because he has become a fan favorite. And there was a huge time period where all anybody talked about on Tumblr was Loki and Tom Hiddleston. There yeah, was that people... Taylor Swift era that overlapped with it. And... Oh, my God. The TS. The TS shirt. Yeah. Um. There are people who have, like, permanent Loki tattoos, like, on their bodies. He has, like, the yeah. loyalist fans. I remember, like, the Comic-Con thing when he, like, came out, like, at the beginning when Marvel wasn't. Oh, my God. And, like, Kevin Feige, like, surprised everyone. I mean, even at, like, the, the 2019 Comic-Con when they announced the shows, like, people freaked out when he came out. Mind you, I was losing my mind about WandaVision. Still am. And, like, everybody was losing their minds about Tom Hiddleston. I was like, I'm great. Good for him. He deserves more time and more money, whatever. But I was like, I'm more excited about this witch and her robot. But, I mean, yeah. I'll watch it because Tom Hiddleston's great. So It still pisses me off to no end that I was literally across the hall in the other ballroom <laughs> waiting for Taika Waititi's What We Do in the Shadows because I couldn't stand in line for, you know, 12 hours to, to get into Hall H. So I'm just seeing all these videos pop up of Sebastian Stan and Tom Hiddleston and yeah, everybody's coming out on stage. I'm like, I literally am right there. It's right across the hall. One day. One day. One day we'll get there. I do remember um, the year that he came out at Comic-Con yeah. as, as Loki. That was almost bigger than the Avengers film itself. Yeah. Like, I remember that being a huge thing. Like, that paid off for, for Marvel's promotional stuff for months afterwards. Like, the, the just the uproar. Because no one was expecting that. There had been things like Andrew Garfield came out as Spider-Man one year and, and asked a bunch of questions and then took his mask off. And that was a big deal. But that was like, Tom Hiddleston came out as this character. He interacted with the audience. There was theme music and everything. It was just, it was incredible. And, and I think it just, Tom Hiddleston owns that role. So it doesn't matter what he's doing. It doesn't matter if it's TV or movies. He just... He understands that character, clearly, 
Because apparently the man has a massive slideshow <laughs> presentation that he, like, showed everybody on the Loki cast. He, like, made up a, a schedule when they could come and watch this presentation, and he showed it to them, and there was, like, a slideshow and everything. So he clearly not only understands Loki, but wants to elevate the character to a point where we can also understand that character. And so I think just he's another one of these people in the Marvel Universe that like Sebastian Stan, they're just constantly trying to bring out parts of the characters that they know we're going to like from the comics. They're trying to make them tangible beings, and I I, I really do love that. Yeah, and I think he's an executive producer on the show, too. And we see the payoff of that, again, with him, um, with Scarlet also being a producer on Black Widow and having a say in what her character got to do. Um, I know Florence also got a huge say in what Yelena came off like on screen. So this is just a point where like the actors actually know these characters very well. And to have him have such reigns on Loki in this Loki series, I think ultimately paid off because we do get to see so many different sides of Loki. Yep. Before we get into, you know, glorious purpose and all that fun stuff, we thought we would talk about what we're super into right now on the podcast because... There's a lot of stuff coming out right now. We're into fall TV. There's a lot of movies back in theaters. And we had a lot of difficulty narrowing down our lists, but we're going to give it a shot. So Shelby, why don't you tell our listeners what you're super into? Should I? Do I even need to say it? Everybody should know. Should, they really should. <laughs> Ted Lasso season two is streaming on Apple TV+. Plus. My pride and joy, my favorite show, my favorite people, my favorite everything. Got seven primetime Emmys, Mm. you know, Ted, the Greyhounds, Rebecca, all of them thriving as best they can in a really dark season. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's great. I'm obsessed. I love it so much. I'm so glad it's back. I if if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I have been going up to bat these past few weeks for my sweet Jamie Tart because the Internet seems to be coming after him and I don't appreciate it. So if you love Jamie Tart and you're listening to this podcast, I suggest you follow me on Twitter because that's the place to be. I will never say a bad word about him unless he deserves it. Um, but yeah, Ted Lasso and Sex Education Season 3 just came out. Great show. Suggest it highly. Wish I had it when I was younger. Glad I have it now. Um, there was another thing. Oh, they released a Bridgerton clip today for Season 2 that we're not getting until who knows next year but it was the first time that we get to see jonathan bailey's um anthony bridgerton with simone ashley who is in sex education um kate sharma and it is the chemistry is already great the like the her dress is fantastic the way they like riff off of each other is great anthony is like in shock when she walks away it's it's already everything i wanted and i know i'm gonna reread the book before the season comes out and i've talked about bridgerton at nauseum on this podcast already and i'm prepared to do it again when season two comes out but yeah that's what i'm super into pretty that's a pretty good list yeah i have to say i I was freaking out about the bridgerton clip yeah oh boy that's gonna be a fun one i'm i'm excited i'm also excited because i feel like there's gonna be a lot of like penelope and colin crumbs in there and i'm i'm ready for it i think we're gonna get some for me some benedict crumbs too because they're gonna have to set up senate season three so that's what i'm super into what about you what i'm super into i actually had to narrow down my list because i i've been watching a lot lately which is great um there's a lot of great stuff out there 
So for me, I think what's caught my attention the most lately is only Murders in the Building on, it's on Hulu, but it's actually on Star here. Disney Plus's Hulu version for international people. They actually are doing a better job of getting shows on there at the same time that Hulu users are also getting shows. So I've been able to get access to Love Victor's new new season and um, Only Murders in the Building Yay. weekly, which is awesome. Keep it up, Disney. Please just keep putting Hulu shows on there weekly. I love it. But I'm kind of obsessed with this show and I don't think it's necessarily like the most amazing show out there, but it does its job really well. Like it, just the cast alone, I didn't care what the show was about. I mean, it has Selena Gomez. I was a massive Wizards fan growing up and I genuinely to this day think she was one of the more qualified actors on Disney Channel at the time. I really liked her. Um, She did a cooking show during quarantine and it was one of like my comforts. Like I I really enjoyed it and it it definitely helped kind of take me out of everything that was happening at the time. Um, but also it has Steve Martin and Martin Short. I mean, those two are like legends, SNL legends. Steve Martin did the Cheaper by the Dozen movies. I mean, he was like, just growing up, he was on everything. And <laughs> Martin Short was the villain in the Santa Claus movies. That's all I remember him has. So to me, like that, that cast alone has a lot of nostalgia that comes with it. But just the show, it's like they made it for me. I mean, it takes place in New York. It was actually filmed in New York. It's filmed in this like apartment building, this fancier apartment building. And basically there's a murder in the building. And these three are obsessed with murder podcasts. So they start their own murder podcast to investigate this murder. And I, I just love it because they don't know what they're doing at all. But it it makes some really funny jokes about podcasts too along the way. And like, they'll, they'll constantly be meeting people who are like, oh, I have a podcast. And their podcast always has more viewers than their podcast. And I think that, I just think that's funny. Um, <laughs> Selena Gomez has some incredible fashion in that show. Like the coat she wears are just, it's the perfect fall show. The actual murder mystery is really good because I haven't figured it out yet. Not that that is any indication that something's good because I don't always know what's going on. I'm also super into the Hawkeye trailer that released a little while back. I I personally, I'm going to start off, I like I like Hawkeye. I'm not saying that I'm like a huge Jeremy Renner fan or that I actively Is anyone? He's just there. I don't really like, you know, but Clint's been in the MCU since I believe Thor, right? Yeah. Yeah, Thor. And I don't know, a lot of people, it's so funny to see newer fans coming into the into the fandom and picking what characters they don't like. And it's actively brooding against characters that I grew up with, like Peggy Carter. There is not very liked now just because of, you know, Bucky and Steve being a thing and not wanting her to be involved in it. And I think also Clint, people know Jeremy Renner more than they know Hawkeye. So they just kind of associate that together. Where like we grew up, I didn't know Jeremy Renner before I knew Hawkeye. So I liked Hawkeye. I thought the bow and arrow was cool. And I I don't know, I never really thought we were going to get a series out of this. So for me, I was kind of hyped about this when I, and partially because of him, but not really, more because of Kate Bishop. I, I love Kate Bishop. Like, yeah. I didn't know her very well before they announced the series. And then once I dived into the information about her, I knew she was going to be like an instant fan favorite. I just love everything she's about. I love the purple palette that they have her in, in the set photos. I just, I love all of it. I love that she's taking over the mantle of Hawkeye. Lucky. Lucky the pizza dog. I just, oh. Yeah. It's the first show that I think is also actively wanted, I've wanted to read the comics for because there aren't a lot of comics for the series. (gasps) 
That makes me happy. Yeah, I actually ordered them from the library. I'm I'm starting them. I'm I'm loving them, and so I I think this is one of the first series that I'm actually wanting to to read before I watch the show. And I think just for me, the Hawkeye trailer, the main thing, it takes place at Christmas. It is a Christmas show. A like Christmas Iron Man season. 3. Just like Iron Man 3. I love shows that take place in New York at Christmas. Like, if you tell me something takes place in New York at Christmas, I will watch it. I don't care. I, I'll watch a horror movie if that's the case. But Hawkeye, just the, the tone they striked in that trailer of just the, the Christmas music soundtrack, but the... the you know, campy action. I just, I love it. I'm already sold on it. Very, it's very diehard. Yeah, very diehard Home Alone vibes. And I, I feel like they've just executed yeah. that to perfection in the trailer. So I'm really hoping that's the case in the show. I've seen behind the scenes photos of it and it just looks like they're going all in on like this kind of winter wonderland Christmas vibe. A few years back now, Mr. Robot finally came back after like, I think like a three year hiatus and they did a Christmas season as their final season and they did it in New York. And to this day, I can't tell you if that's if that final season was actually good. I loved it because it was in New York at Christmas. I I'm fully sold on this Hawkeye show and I, I can't wait to have it in November. I'm psyched for it. Yeah, I am too. Mostly I am not the biggest Jeremy Renner fan for reasons that you can find via Google. But I am so happy that it looks like there's a part in the comics about Clint that he does not he can't hear like he's deaf like he he goes deaf and that was never included in the marvel movies and um that's the first time that they've erased a character's a part of the character's personality from the comics to i guess like they think it'll market better if he doesn't have that i don't i don't know i don't know why they they cut things like that i don't know but i'm assuming it's because they think it'll market better which is dumb because representation matters but whatever and if you look really close at certain shots in that trailer he has like a hearing aid in his mm-hmm. ear and i'm assuming that my idea is that what when we saw an in game whenever he they like everybody gets the the thanos's people show up outside and he's in that window and he gets like shot back thousands of no that's scott but clint is in the building and he gets the building like implodes on him I'm assuming that maybe that messed with his hearing because he is just a man. He's just a man and that happened to him. So I'm assuming that's what they'll probably use as like the or maybe what happened whenever he was being Ronan. I don't know. I'm assuming one of those things or both of them is contributing to his hearing loss. Either way, that means that we're getting that representation on screen. Also, the character of Echo is also hearing impaired on the show as well. So they are trying to make up for the things that they did wrong. It doesn't completely erase the fact that they erased it in the first place but it is a nice a nice step in the nice and in the right direction so i'm not gonna pat them on the back for doing the right thing but i'm glad that they're doing the right thing yeah so i hope that 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 they bring actual attention to that and it's not just like a thing that we're supposed to pick up on like Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like i hope it's not just something we're supposed to see i hope it's something they like actually address we'll have to wait until november we will when they go to see the rogers musical Oh my gosh, I'm so ready for that. It looks like in the trailer, Hawkeye actually takes his kids to go to the musical, which I just 
love the concept of that. Which is, like, so funny. Do you think he got free tickets because there's a character of Hawkeye in that? Do you think he got No, free I absolutely don't think they gave Hawkeye tickets. I think it would be a really funny joke if they didn't. <laughs> I feel like Hawkeye has never gotten a discount for being a superhero in his life or free stuff. Like, I feel like he's that one that just, they're just like, are you in the Avengers? And he's like, yeah, I am. And they're like, you know, I just, I would love for that to be a running joke. Oh, but also, like... The way that they're incorporating his hearing loss, I also think that it's, I didn't expect the, like, the, the jumping ground or the leaping ground or whatever of that trailer to be the fact that, like, everything he did as Ronan is coming back to bite him in the ass. I didn't expect that to be the, the source of this trailer that, like, Kate Bishop had that outfit. I don't know how she got that. Maybe it's, like, a copycat or maybe it's his. I don't know. But the fact that, like, that is where this is starting, I feel like that's one of the things that bother me the most about Endgame is that no one held him accountable for that. And I'm so glad that it looks like that's what this series is going to do. Hopefully it doesn't just like get rid of that after the first episode or whatever within the first 10 minutes. I hope that it actually holds him accountable because I mean, he did kill a lot of people and just got to go home and Natasha died. So and I think that's a case where I really like that they've just right off the bat, there's this girl that idolizes him as as a superhero and she chose that mantle to take up in the moment um yeah not because she you know connected to that mantle just because that's what hawkeye had taken up in in a really rough time and that's what she resonated with and so i hope that's a real gut punch for for clint in that like you know you're yeah you are a superhero and people were looking up to whether you thought they were or not even even you they were looking up to and these kids that saw you on tv grew up and instead of holding on to the hawkeye mantle they held on to the ronin mantle which is just ronin yeah. is I think something that he'll have to have to deal with. And again, we've seen zero emotional range from Hawkeye because he is very much a one-liner. He does. <laughs> he's very good at his job. He comes in, he says a couple of one-liners. You know, the, the growth that we saw with him was really with Wanda. They're giving characters that we really don't know what their thought process is like their own series and a lot of time to talk and, mm-hmm. and establish themselves. And, and then, you know, he is on kind of his exit so he's going to be exiting for kate bishop to take over the mantle at some point yeah and i i think that i think it's all working out i like the way it's going i i like that we're moving towards the young avengers i love kate so i'm ready for her to kind of just come into this role and reestablish hawkeye in in this mcu as a formidable character or at least a a character that's still really funny i want to keep the essence of of hawkeye and the one-liners and stuff and i know kate will do that but give give the character a little bit more depth yeah i think it's interesting that i just thought about this parallel that we whenever we talked about the falcon and the winter soldier and it like questions superhero mantles and like the names that come with super who gets to be that superhero and we were really worried that like as we were watching the series we were worried that like sam would have to clean up the mess that like john walker created and i'm wondering if we'll see something similar to that with like hawk with hawkeye with hawk there I go, thinking about Titans with <laughs> with Hawkeye and like Kate because we're we're like diving into what that mantle means and how Ronan plays into that. And I don't know. I think it I think it I think it could be really, really good. And I'm really excited. 
I think the consensus from a lot of people going into the trailer was that they weren't going to watch the series and then they saw the trailer and unfortunately like Falcon and Winter Soldier, it was a really good trailer. It shows us what exactly what we need to see. And I think in this case with Hawkeye, it's not everything we're going to see because that was my main issue with Falcon and Winter Soldier yeah. was everything in that. I still to this day say it was one of the best trailers that Marvel's come out with, but everything good was in that trailer. And that's the frustrating part. The final shot of the show was in that trailer. <laughs> and all the good one-liners were also in that trailer. So I think with Hawkeye, honestly, we didn't get a lot. We got a lot of action scenes. We didn't get a lot of dialogue. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm fine with that. Like, I think them just teasing, like, the Rogers musical, which is absolutely nuts. And I, it, make, it makes me laugh. It's so petty of Marvel that they would, like, you know, Chris Evans would leave. He wanted to go out and do new things, right? Move, Move on. on. And yeah. and their way of kind of and being then they super petty about it <laughs> was making a Rogers musical and not allowing him to come back in the musical as Captain America, which would be Chris Evans's dream job. So I think that's really Poor funny. Guy. I wish they had a casted like Scott Evans as Captain America in that play. Oh, that would have been amazing. My God, Scott would have crushed that he would have crushed it and i hope they have him as like an understudy or something maybe he did something for them maybe he did a cameo i can hope oh my god scott you're not listening to this but if you are i'm your biggest fan (laughs) and i want this for you so badly call marvel make them do reshoots you have to be in that oh my god and chris would oh my god i need that i need that in my life that's so funny i that's the ultimate sibling rivalry right there is just yeah if scott was ever cast in that role and i do think it's funny i like the rogers (laughs) musical dynamic when you look at it from different characters it's a really funny headcanon to think about outside of the show because i i tweeted this on our uh twitter account for the podcast but i thought it was really funny i could totally imagine john walker going to audition for captain america in the rogers the musical and having to be, like, escorted out of the building when they told him he didn't have the role. And he was like, no, I'm Captain America. And they're like, you're really not. And they just, he throws a fit in the middle of Broadway. I just see that happening. I just, I can't see where that would not be the case. But anyways, yeah, this was one of those trailers that I think won a lot of people over or reluctantly won them over and now they have to watch it. But regardless... We definitely think you should watch the Hawkeye series. I mean, you're going to watch it. It's Marvel. When do we ever say we're not going to watch it and then just not watch it? So check that out in November and check out Only Murders in the Building. And honestly, I shouldn't have to tell you, but go watch Ted Lasso. If you're one of the last people on Earth that haven't watched the show, go watch it. We're all collectively crying over it every week. And the fact that you're not, it's kind of (laughs) sad. Go watch it. Yeah, and then go read my reviews of Ted Lasso. I'm fangirlish because I work really hard on She them. does. You really <laughs> should go should go read those. And then keep a lookout for our Hawkeye reviews because you know we're going to review those. So Yeah, we got to talk about Hawkeye. Anyways, it's time for a little bit of mischief. Let's get into dun, dun, dun. Loki Season 1, Episode 1, Glorious Purpose. This episode, Loki, season one, episode one, it's called Glorious Purpose, was directed by Kate Heron, like the rest of the series has. And it was written by Michael Waldron. He is the head writer of the series, if you are curious. 
and the episode description, which is my favorite part of these episode information breakdowns, is... I love them so much. After picking up the Tesseract, Loki finds himself called before the Time Variance Authority, the TVA, a Kafka-esque bureaucratic organization that exists outside of time and space. Wow, you really nailed that. There were some, there were some tough Thank words you. in there, honestly. I was... I was paying very close attention to what I was reading. <laughs> they really made us work for that one, that episode description. Kafka-esque. They were like, what sounds, what sounds super posh? Super pretentious. You nailed it, Loki. You really nailed it. You know what else they nailed, though? This opening scene. Oh, my God. Okay. Question. How much of this do you think is reshoots? I think a lot of it is alternate footage. I, I definitely do. Okay. I think a lot of it, which we're going to get, we'll get into in a second here because the the series opens on New York City in 2012. It's not, in fact, the Avengers movie. It's actually footage from Avengers Endgame. The skyline of New York is alternate footage from Avengers Endgame that they've just removed the portal and the giant, like, dinosaur alien thing that's floating around. So it's just after the battle. But then we go into the scene where they're taking Loki down through the elevator and they're going to plan the grand heist of stealing the Tesseract from the cells. The Avengers are going to steal the Tesseract from themselves. And we do see a lot of alternate footage here, um, specifically with Loki's cap impression, his amazing, incredible cap impressions that he does with Chris Evans where they mimic each other. I love that. But we do see a different more toned down version of that impression from what we see in the films. And um, I I think it's been suggested that it is alternate footage, uh, which is really cool because I think this is a case where Loki being a TV series isn't like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. where they're cut off from the bigger studios and the resources. So they actually had the resources to go back through Avengers Endgame and take already pre-shot footage just from different angles and different takes, and reuse it so it feels like something new, but it's the same scene. It's just shot a different way. Yeah, that's why I was wondering if any of it was reshoots, because I thought that Chris sounded different than... I've watched Endgame a billion times, and I thought that his, like, the way he enunciates and his impression of Tom, you know, the Loki thing, I thought that he sounded a bit different, and then, of course, when that, like, pans to the elevator, like, the shot of Loki waving i wasn't sure if that was like a loki reshoot or if that was like like you said like in-game footage yeah i think it's from what i've heard it's a lot of both like in terms of chris evans they used alternate footage and so the impression we're seeing of loki doing the cap impression is actually an alternate take that they did where uh loki's doing it more robotically so it sounds a little bit more robot like than what we actually see in avengers endgame so i think they did multiple takes with this and again the camera angles are different um and we see those kinds of things but I think anything that involved Loki could also be reshot with Tom Hiddleston and just put in so they could add these little, like, you know, waves and stuff. And it, it was slightly different. Yeah. I do like that they took the same scene, though, and they just add in these little details to make it slightly different, um, which I think is a way of just showing us it's from Loki's perspective. Like, we were kind of following the Avengers mm-hmm. in that movie. We weren't really focused totally on Loki. And so to have the scene kind of play out a little bit differently, it's almost like it's coming from Loki's perspective. Like he's just, that's how he's seeing things. That's how he's seeing his impression of Cap, I guess. But I just love the Cap impression. Like I'm okay with bringing that back in every single property. 
if it just means we get to relive like Chris Evans's Captain America for just a moment, a moment in time. I just LOL. I miss him so much, but I also miss when he does impressions of himself. It's so funny. Anyways, we get that awesome callback to Avengers Endgame. We get explanation for you know, where Loki ends up at the beginning of the series after he takes the Tesseract. And we get this really cool shot of Loki when he takes the Tesseract and he ends up shooting himself into a desert and crash landing into this, like, pile of sand. It's a shot-for-shot take of Iron Man crashing into the sand when he's escaping. It's like a callback to Iron Man. So I I love that when Loki kind of sits up and it's the exact same shot. We also get Thor's voice fading into the credits at the very beginning, calling Loki's name, which I I don't know, it's kind of sad. It's like Thor's last call to, like, Loki. Considering how this episode ends, that's really depressing. (sighs) Yeah. Most of Loki's story is really depressing, to be honest. That's true. Most of Thor's story is also depressing. (laughs) (laughs) oh these poor characters the show doesn't waste any time though we go right into the tva storyline they do not let loki walk around and cause some mischief he basically gets up out of the sand the tva shows up in these like weird jumpsuits um we do immediately meet hunter b15 played by wunmi musaka and so this actress is kind of interesting because she also starred on black mirror apparently where her character used, like, a similar time dilation that we see when she hits Loki with, like, the baton and he's, like, going at one-sixth of the speed but feeling all the pain. She, in Black Mirror, also had a similar technology that she was torturing Wyatt Russell with in the episode, which I just think is, like, really funny when you think of it from the perspective of, like, I like Wyatt Russell, but I really hate John Walker and the fact that he got tortured in two different shows and there's, like, that overlap of MCU is great. Yes, agreed. So we immediately go into the TVA, they take Loki, he unfortunately is not as powerful as he thinks, and he goes down easy in his stupid, you know, big villain costume that he's still wearing from the Avengers. I just find it funny that Marvel is so, they like think that they're like pushing the boundaries with these like Disney plus shows, and yet they're still just introducing new militant groups with every single one of them. (laughs) Like, WandaVision had S.W.O.R.D. and Falcon and the Winter Soldier had the regular old U.S. government. And now we just have the TVA, which is obviously just something else that from the jump, if you're a fan of Marvel, you're immediately suspicious that it has either been corrupted already or can easily be corrupted. I don't think we've ever had an organization in the MCU that wasn't corrupted in some way. Exactly. Because, like, you think, oh, S.W.O.R.D. is okay. No, no, because Hayward. Like, everything has been, like, there's no reason for me to trust the TVA. There were, like, whenever the episode came out, people were like, we have to give it a chance because of Mobius, which we'll get to Mobius. But, like, just because there's one good egg doesn't mean that the whole thing is worth trusting. Yeah. And, I mean, clearly that's right. Well, the TVA, so we spend about 12 minutes of this pilot right from this jump when they take Loki just exploring the TVA. They they put him through this grueling, like, introduction where he has to, you know, be checked in. He has to sign a bunch of papers claiming this is everything he's ever said, which... For a thousand-year-old god, it did not look like that much paperwork. I don't know. Um, they also stripped him down naked, which, thank you, Marvel. I appreciate that detail very much. Gotta love the female gaze. Gotta love it. Because the camera literally scans up his body. Mm-hmm. Also, I think that's a great metaphor 
for where the story is going because it strips him of his Asgardian leather. Mm-hmm. And he's like bare in front of us. And this is going to be a fresh start, a clean slate, a different Loki. Yep. A bear metaphor is necessary at this point. I, I really think if they hadn't had it in there, this episode would have just been meh. I think I needed that. Yeah. There's also the part where he like hesitates and thinking he may be a robot. Mm-hmm. I love that. <laughs> he like has to convince himself that he's not one. And even when he steps through, he's still like, he like flinches. Like he's still not sure. I'm like, why, why, honey, why do you think that you're a robot? He's just, <laughs> why? He has such bad trust issues w- when it comes to family and lies that he's just like, you know, he was lied to for how many years about his true identity by his family father That's in quotation true. marks so um i get it i totally get it i feel like that was a cruel way of playing on that um and also just bringing back that very sci-fi trope of like am i really a robot like it's very on par with what we're seeing in the first few moments in terms of genre we do spend 12 minutes in the tva just going from room to room with him and there isn't a lot of dialogue it's a lot of physical stuff and it's basically having us kind of live through it with Loki, which I enjoyed. I, I like being introduced to the TVA because I think in terms of all of the organizations that we've been thrown into in Marvel in the last couple phases, and especially phase four, the TVA is maybe my favorite because it's so well developed even in this first episode. They spend so much time developing it and building this world around us. I really liked it, even though like it's built to kind of it's built to polarize you. It's built to frustrate you and deceive you. And I really like that level of like, it's not a comfortable place. There are no comfy seats. Everything is very cold and there's all these retro tiles and, you know, not there's no soft textiles anywhere. It, yeah, everything's really sharp. Yeah, it's it's got this and like thing defined of like, and there's retro elements, there's futuristic technology. It's showing that the TVA is suspended in time. It doesn't really have a time frame that it takes from. It takes from everything, mainly the 70s, but other elements too are from other, you know, eras. But at the same time, it really can't be trusted. Anything it's showing us is kind of just for show. It's all propaganda. There are propaganda posters all over this place. And one of my favorite things was just watching this episode to find the propaganda posters that were up on the walls and read them because... They, they actually had their own in-house propaganda department, which is just insane to me because the TVA from the get-go is this organization that doesn't have to face public scrutiny. It doesn't have people, you know, it doesn't have the public actually looking in on it. So the fact that they have to, like, convince people that they're, you know, this righteous organization from the get-go just doesn't fully make sense. It's, like, convincing themselves that they're a good entity. It's, it's so funny to me. Um... But I really just, I like shows where the best character in a series is the setting. And I think they do a really good job of just setting up the TVA as its own character. I I know that was like a huge thing um, when I watched Prison Break. I loved that prison. And I thought that was kind of like its own character in the show. So I think it's a huge importance that they have something like this setting looming over Loki at every turn. I mean, it is kind of like a prison. But it's suggesting otherwise with all these different rooms that he's going through. Like, there's there's a way out, but it becomes clear really soon for Loki that there isn't. So I just love how it plays with us a little bit and with him in terms of that mischief factor. Yeah, and I think that it's really smart the way that they kind of do, like, a schoolhouse rock, like, introduction, like, an in, like an introductory video to, like, the TVA. And they, like, go through all the vocab words, like 
like multiversal war and like time variant and nexus event because i mean like loki doesn't know about those things but neither do we and to like break it down in like a cartoon video is so silly but it works because it it works it it i don't know why but it 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 works it it really does like they spend so much time in these first couple minutes setting everything up so that when they're throwing stuff at us we understand what's going on and it's a very simple idea to understand on a basic level with with the tva um once you've seen that cartoon because they do explain a lot of it and and it actually is really hard to swallow when you're watching this cartoon because essentially the cartoon is telling us that there's one timeline and there's three timekeepers that essentially created the tva to keep this sacred timeline as the only existing timeline because if other timelines branched off there would be a multiversal war and that's kind of hard for us to swallow in terms of, like, we've watched the Arrowverse for how many seasons, and we kind of got stuck on this idea that there has to be multiverses, and in the Marvel comics there are. So, for all these years, we've been thinking there's other universes out there, and this this organization is essentially telling us, no, that's impossible. We make sure there isn't. We have actively been making sure that's not the case. So, that's hard off the bat, because... It's not exactly something you can take lightly, um, but they do it in such a campy, fun, cartoonish way that it just, it doesn't, I think my issue with pilot episodes are that they're information dumps a lot of the time. They either tell you nothing or they tell you a lot of stuff to world build, and the ones that do that often come off really heavy and, and information dumping, and I don't like them. And I don't know how Loki did it. But they dumped a lot of information on us in this first episode. I would say this episode is literally its only purpose is to set up the world that Loki is currently in. And it doesn't feel heavy to me. It doesn't feel like they're throwing a lot of information at me. It's kind of just there. It's in the details around the room and in these little infomercial things. Feels like good storytelling. Like, I'm invested in where Loki's going from room to room. And I I like that part of it. I think it's interesting because they also throw a lot of things in there that are just very chaotic and mischievous and they play into kind of the 70s sci-fi vibes um particularly miss minutes which is such a curveball storytelling wise that they decided to put this imaginary cartoon clock in the series tara strong voices miss minutes and i will say her voice acting is incredible she's done some really cool cartoon characters over the years but i love her accent for miss minutes I think, like, the southern accent is so comforting, but then what she's saying is not at all comforting. It's very sterile and threatening at times. So I like that there's, like, this horror sci-fi element of, like, Miss Minutes, who is claiming to be a very friendly helping hand for Loki through this journey, and she's not. She's threatening people at every turn. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't trust her from the second that we met her. No, ma'am. How could you trust a floating clock like that? Like, you just know Mm-mm. that she's gonna haunt your nightmares. And that's exactly what she did by the end of that freaking series, so. Yep. Yeah, essentially, these these first 12 minutes is very heavy on just establishing the TVA layout. Um, and then we also just kind of get Loki being very out of his element for a good chunk of this pilot. Um, no dialogue, just Loki being a, a confused little cactus for 12 minutes. All prickly and... <laughs> being touched and manhandled and not liking it. And I, I don't know, it, it definitely strips him, like you said, strips him down. Yeah, I think that's important. Yeah, he has to go into the rest of this series kind of as an open wound. Yeah, because this series has the very hard job 
of taking this character, the last we saw him in Endgame with Joss Whedon, God help us, that like made him like before in the Thor movies, he was kind of like in the gray area. He wasn't like a villain. He was an anti-hero. There was still a lot to deal with. But, but by the time like the Avengers movie rolled around, like the stuff, I mean, Mobius brings this up later, but the stuff in that movie, he's like, he's a villain. Like he's a like a, there's no pulling back that a little bit to make him um, more of a gray area anti-hero or whatever, or just like um, an antagonist. Like he's he's a full blown villain. He's wanting to rule the world. There, it's hard to see the nuance in that character. Even even it's like a twinkle in Tom Hiddleston's eye because Joss Whedon is so adamant about making this character the way that he wants him. And so I think that this and that was over. And then I mean yeah. And then we didn't really get to have any more development with him outside of like that dictator scary version of Loki until Ragnarok and then we didn't even have him that long before he was killed so this show has six episodes to develop a character that had movies like a decade's worth of movies basically that don't count yeah yeah that that they can't like lean back on and and I think just stripping him right in the pilot is saying like of that of that as guardian leather or whatever that that Joss Whedon had him in in Avengers that that dictator Loki stripping him of that in the first episode is such a smart idea because it it frees us of thinking that this is that character because I I don't want that character I don't want to watch a six episode series about that Loki that would be so hard to watch because I wouldn't want to he's very one-dimensional yeah I wouldn't want to root for him I wouldn't I, I wouldn't care about his redemption I just I wouldn't and and I'm glad that we got rid of that as soon as possible and they let Tom kind of dabble with the the Loki that we see in Ragnarok pretty early on um it doesn't really make sense development wise but I'm I'm willing to like push that aside just because it gets rid of that other perception of him i think loki's the type of character just canonly he's playing a part and he says that a lot even in the avengers you know that everyone has their part to play and i think he's just playing the villain that he thinks he needs to be in a lot of these earlier films and tom hiddleston brings a depth to him that that can be played off very easily as like the minute you strip him of any power and he's forced to scramble for a new identity you know, that those cracks are going to show. And and so this episode immediately strips him of everything and pushes him outside his comfort zone because that's the only way that character is going to evolve. Yeah. And he might not evolve in a good way, but at least he evolves. And I, I would like to see this be the case for other other MCU characters that are, are similar. Like, I think Sharon Carter, she's one of those characters where she's a spy. So she's constantly playing people that she isn't. And we really haven't seen the real Sharon Carter. She's always playing a, like as a double agent. And I and I really hope this is the case with the power broker situation where she's playing a role and all it's going to take is to just put her outside her comfort zone and strip that away. And then we're going to see that character underneath, who's still very much a villain, but at least has some depth to her. So I hope that's the case with her as well. Yeah. But we do see this episode really dive into why Loki acts the way he does in Avengers and how they can evolve from that without really going too far away from that in the first episode. But before we get to that, we have to take a detour because 
we're not just talking about Loki in this pilot. He's not the only person in the room. There is also Mobius. Mobius M. Mobius is his full name. <laughs> but I like to refer to him as Owen Wilson. I like to refer to him as Mobius. Loki's boyfriend if Marvel didn't hate us. Mm-hmm. That's a good take line. Yeah. I, yes. Shelby knows that I have a difficult time calling certain actors by their Marvel names, and this is a case where I genuinely, he's just Owen Wilson. I'm sure if you've listened to this podcast, you've (laughs) picked up on that because she refused to call Stanley Tucci Erskine. She just calls him Stanley Tucci. Yeah, I just, I can't. And I, I, Mobius is a little easier, so I, I will, I do call him Mobius sometimes, but I just think like Owen Wilson, I, I I can't, I have to talk about this casting because I just think in terms of money, Disney money, they used it really well. Like the fact that they were like, who can we put in there beside Tom Hiddleston? That'll really just like grind his gears. And the fact that Owen Wilson came up in that conversation, like Owen Wilson does not do shows like this. He just doesn't, he doesn't do TV period. Like that man does movies. Okay. And he does them well. He did Wedding Crashers. He did the internship. (laughs) If, if you are, if you are a Team Wolf fan, a Dylan O'Brien fan, please go watch the internship. Him and Owen Wilson killed it in that movie. I love that movie. Um, But yeah, he's just, he, uh, you know, and now I'm going to say it. Shelby's going to, she's going to get mad at me. He was also in Night at the Museum. Which was, like, my childhood, like, my, it was the movie that defined my childhood in a lot of ways. And Owen Wilson, as a little cowboy, was, like, my favorite character. Ugh, I just, I love those movies. But anyway, so I can't possibly think, I just love that there's this full circle moment of, like, him coming back to Disney to do Loki is such a random occurrence. And why he was in the show to begin with, I don't know what came over him, but they must have offered him a lot of money. But he's here. And so... I love that Marvel's, like, branching out with these series and, and hiring these actors they wouldn't normally get. Higher profile actors with this, this Disney money. And I love that they bought Owen Wilson off for the show because I just, I needed Owen Wilson to play this character. I just needed him to. I never knew I did, but I needed him to. Do you know what I read that I think may have contributed to the fact that he took this job? If you don't know, there is a show called Stargirl on the CW, and it's a DC comic show, and it's incredible, and you should watch it, but um, Owen's brother Luke Wilson (laughs) is in that show, and I read an interview before Stargirl season three, not season three, season two, um, started that they filmed Loki in Atlanta, and they filmed Stargirl in Atlanta, and apparently they just like lived together while because they were filming around the same time. So they just like stayed and lived together and they just like talk shop and superheroes. And so I I want my headcanon is that Owen didn't know if he should take the job. And Luke was like, hey, being in a superhero world is really fun and you should do it so that we can do it together. And then they did. That is so cute. Oh, I just that's what I like to believe. I love that despite their careers being drastically different. The two of them ended up on superhero shows in the same city. I, I just, I love that. And really good I, superhero I shows. They didn't even get, like, bad superhero shows. They're both great. No. So. They're both really good shows. I just like this headcanon where, like, the, yeah, Wilson brothers just play, like, the supportive side character. The emotional support character. Yeah. For, the, for these main characters. I, I, they're very good at it. I, you know what? I never I mean, knew yeah, I Pat Dugan Wilson in TV, but I really do. Exactly. Pat Dugan is easily one of my favorite parts of Stargirl. He's 
incredible. I've always been a Luke Wilson fan. Um, and then, like, Mobius took me by surprise. Who hasn't? That man's amazing. True, yeah. And then Mobius took me by surprise with Loki and became, like, my favorite part of the show. So, the Wilson brothers, what can we say? They bring it every time, especially in Night at the Museum. I can't say that one last time. Do you know what I noticed in this scene? Mobius's first scene? I thought you were going to say Night at the Museum and then you are going to let me talk about it more. But no. Do you know what I noticed in Mobius's <laughs> first scene is that they, they're talking like shop about TVA stuff. Who cares? But when that little kid shows up. Well, um, a bunch of people died. Like <laughs> a bunch of people died. It was very Yeah, serious. yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll come into context later. But um, that little kid shows up and he says... Like, that guy's like, oh, we'll just prune them or whatever. And Mobius is like, no, they're just a kid. And I was like, oh, like Wanda and like Carly, this person is just a kid. So immediately I was like, I'll trust Mobius. I don't care if he's bad. He said just a kid. So he has to be a good guy because Sam said that. And so does Steve. So I trust him. I feel like that's just Marvel's measurement for decent characters is they're like oh just spot the one that doesn't try to kill the child in the scene and it's like it's not a really high bar you've set here in terms of you know morally gray and, and good characters i don't i don't yeah, quite know I mean, why they back to that yeah because technically hawkeye like didn't kill kids but he killed a ton of other people <laughs> ton of other people so like yeah, clearly the kids is the line for Marvel, like, in terms of, you know. It's probably a Disney thing. Yeah. Because I'm sure that in the comics, kids have died before. So I'm sure that's probably a Marvel thing. The same way as, like, in that scene with Mobius, the kid, like, points to the, like, glass, the pane glass stained window or whatever. And it has that depiction of the devil. And he's like, oh, the devil, we're going to mm-hmm. catch him. And that's, like, a Mephisto throwaway, like, distraction that never mm-hmm. becomes Mephisto because Disney's never going to let us have Mephisto because they're never going <laughs> to, like, never. have a character that is the devil. I just have to ask, why a why a company that is so against, like, demonic and devil symbols continues to put them throughout phase four like this has never been a thing before in the marvel cinematic universe why are there so many devil references i think it's because matt murdoch is coming to the mcu and that's just the way they're preparing us that is the only thing i can think okay because at this point it just seems like overkill and there's no way it's mephisto because too many people have said it at this point and i just can't get on board with it i don't care if it's It's right it's not right um it has to be Daredevil. It just has to be. Has but to. it's getting to be a little much, I would think. Like I just <laughs> I, I feel like just it's a little it's a little out there to just have a giant in a church, a giant mural of a devil and just point to it. Like it's a plot point. And, and I'm then just, like, like, I feel like Yeah, because it would have been different hand. had they just been like, Oh, a devil in a church, yeah, that's a bad thing. But like to also just be like to have Mobius say, Yeah, we're gonna catch the devil like, that's clearly setting up every theorist to be like, Mephisto. <laughs> Even though we're all like, y'all, Mephisto's never gonna happen. <laughs> never gonna happen. Uh, but you know who the, who the opposite... You know who the opposite of the devil is? It really is Mobius. And I, I hate this so much because... At this point, they've introduced us to the TVA. We got a good a good chunk of time with the TVA, and anybody that 
is watching is kind of starting to wonder, it, you know, they're probably not great people. This organization is a little sketchy. Um, it's hard to take a things little. at face value these days. Just a little bit. Um, but then Mobius walks out and he's kind and he's thorough and he's smart and he doesn't seem like he's the type of person that would have the rug pulled out from under him. You know, and I think that's brilliant. I mean, he's basically like the perfect smokescreen for the TVA because mm-hmm. he is the point in the, the pilot where you start to question, am I reading into this a little too much? Because he he's just, he would hide anything sinister. He is literally, a, he has like the soft-spoken kindness of Phil Coulson and the observation skills of Steve Rogers. Like, he's the perfect combination. Of all my favorite comfort characters. Like, I just, I love him. And he's got the gray hair and he's got the mustache. Owen Wilson's looking like a straight up comfort character. And I just, I can't, he's the perfect smokescreen for me because every time I start to think something's wrong, I just go, but Owen Wilson's there and nothing bad would happen if Owen Wilson was in the scene, you know? And they're playing on my emotions. I don't there, like it. I don't like it. There are plenty of times in this episode and throughout the rest of the series that like the tone literally the tone in which owen wilson speaks as mobius is such a telling sign of his character and like his inherent goodness because he never sounds judgmental to to bring it back to ted lasso he never sounds judgmental he always is sounds very curious he always is, he is looking curious, yeah. to understand rather than to like isolate and like accuse or shame he's his heart is never in that direction um another reason why i think that loki and mobius should kiss and date because those qualities going head to head because the exact opposite exists within loki would have been incredible but you know we'll get there maybe one day but yeah i i there's a scene that we'll get to later that i'll bring it up again because his i wrote about it in my review because his tone caught me off guard that it literally took me back and i like jotted it down in my notes for the episode and like underlined it because i was like the way he said that changed everything i was like oh so he really really is a good guy yeah it's like a tone that soothing could never lie to you it's just there there's a level of like the tva you can't hide everything that's kind of off with it but with owen wilson his voice comes through so honestly and he really is just a curious character by nature that there's nothing hiding there mobius would have to be a mastermind to hide something behind his his persona and that's kind of like makes him the ultimate smokescreen for for the series because i really i want to trust him my instincts tell me to trust him Anyways, we go back to Loki and his little hellscape of the TVA. He is being carted off to court because the TVA is nothing if fair. So he has to stand trial and plead his case. And we immediately walk into this epic looking courtroom, by the way, like the murals on the walls and just the the giant wooden like piece on the back of this wall behind Ravona is insane. Like it's just the timekeepers. Yeah, the timekeepers, like the the wooden planks that make up their face. Like whoever designed that, that's incredible. Like obviously they had to have a vocal point of the room, and that's the vocal point behind her head. It's so funny to me to think that all of that is CGI. <laughs> it's just all CGI. It's I know they will they use green screens these days, and it just but it looks real, mm-hmm. and it's just it's beautiful. I I love it as the vocal point of the room, and then again we have all the murals of the different like 
jobs throughout the TVA on the wall, which is kind of neat. Again, they're not telling us this information. If we want to figure out how the TVA operates, we just have to look around the room because they constantly have signs and murals depicting what the, what they do. So it's kind of interesting. You have to stop and, and look around. And yeah, so we get to we get to see him interact with with Ravona and she's a judge for the TVA. That's what we put together in the first couple minutes with her. Um, we get to see Loki in his like jumpsuit, and I will say I he's working it in that jumpsuit. He really is. Like orange is a good color for him. I don't. I I like it. He also has some really good dialogue in this scene. I will say because the whole point of the scene is basically to have him plead guilty to something that he did, but he also didn't really do on purpose. Like the whole point is just to have him say, "Yes, I'm a variant. I went out of time with the Tesseract and caused a branch," which Loki did technically, but he d- doesn't want to plead to the fact that he's guilty for something because he really isn't guilty for anything um but that's the whole point is just Ravona's asking him are you guilty or not guilty sir and he has a really good line he says madam a god doesn't plead tom hiddleston is so good in this scene he delivers each line so well like yeah when he says the line about being like guilty for a crime against the sacred timeline absolutely not you have the wrong person i think the delivery of that is just so funny like because it really is loki trying to like save his ass and you can just you can feel it he's getting more and more like desperate to just be like i'm a god listen to me and the part when he tries to like summon his powers is so (laughs) funny because like the hunter b15 she was like she's trying to some he's trying to summon his powers and then he goes don't look at me (laughs) it's so funny because it's like he can focus more if they just don't look at him oh god (laughs) it's so funny funny he's just having performance issues yeah i love that which is what tony stark was having when he tried to like take him over with the tesseract thing oh full circle yeah the scene just has some amazing dialogue i love i love this scene i know they put the scene out before the show aired and i just loved it because i i thought the dialogue really spoke to like loki's absurdity that this character has and the, the funny comedic bits that he can pull out so easily um but this scene also caused a lot of an uproar because it's essentially saying with me with you with a lot of people it's essentially saying that loki is guilty for crimes against the sacred timeline and the avengers are not ravona actually says at one point what they did was supposed to happen you escaping was not that doesn't make sense and it doesn't make sense and a lot of people were confused um I kind of just took it at face value. This is the problem with me. I take things at face value and it gets, it bites me in the ass a lot. Um, But every once in a while I figure things out. And with this, I think I have, I have to thank the good place because, and no one figured that show out, I might add, like nobody figured that show out before that big reveal at the end. If you haven't seen the good place, I'm sorry, you should have seen it by now because I'm going to say, but essentially the reveal that the good place is the bad place and that everything was constructed to deceive us. And the narrative that, because there's this assumption that what the narrative is telling you is right. And a lot of TV shows follow this rule for a long time. And I grew up thinking that was what the case was, is like the narrative it's telling you is not a lie because you're in the room and the, it's only the character that's being lied to. And The Good Place really changed that narrative for comedy, especially because it was just like, no, the narrative can be lying to you too. What you're seeing if it's orchestrated a certain way it's just telling you parts of the story it's not telling you the whole story and it can it can really change the story once you know the whole thing and see what's going on behind the scenes and so i think this is a level of like them just saying right off the bat you're guilty it's easy to believe loki's guilty because he's the villain 
And he did technically have a crime against the sacred timeline because he was a branched violation. But then you start to think like she says very specifically, you escaping was not part of the plan. What the Avengers did was. But in Endgame, Loki escapes with the Tesseract and then the whole other plot of the movie is them going to like the 1970s to get another version of the Tesseract from Howard Stark's shield lab. And so if Loki hadn't taken that Tesseract and left, it would have never gone back to the 1970s. And Steve would have never seen Peggy and had the idea to go back to her at the end of the movie. And the whole point of Tony's arc in that film was that he sees his dad and he talks to him and he realizes he wants to be that type of parent for his kid. And that's when he decides he'll put his life on the line for everybody. Which is also stupid. (laughs) It's stupid, but it is the arc of the film. So essentially, if Loki hadn't taken the Tesseract, none of that would have happened. So Tony might not have sacrificed himself at the end. And Steve might have stayed with Bucky and not gone with Peggy if he hadn't had that reminder. So what a world. What a world. So I don't know. I this is that line. It's that last part of it. You escaping was not part of the plan. It just it doesn't fit the narrative of Endgame. And this is a part where everyone was like, well, is that because logistically this was just this writing is off? Like there's plot holes. Is this a plot hole thing, a timeline thing? Because and unfortunately, this made me think about the timeline way too much. Like I had to, I wrote an article about how this was like Loki was orchestrating a good place level plot twist where the TVA is bad and essentially telling you it's good. And um, I had to like look at the timeline and it it made my head hurt so much. I know I texted Shelby about it a couple of times. I was like, this, this is making my head hurt because the timeline doesn't make sense. But I think this is a case where the show was actually trying to fix a lot of the plot holes and show us that like, no, this is actual deception. This is actually well-written deception. And we're trying to fix some of the things that Avengers Endgame did leave kind of way open, like wide open. Like the door is just swinging off the hinges at this point in terms of like interpretation. What did you think at the time? Did you think that Loki was guilty? Did you think he was not guilty? I mean, are you asking me if I believe Renslayer? No, just like at the moment when you were watching that episode, did you believe that he was guilty? Because the whole narrative of the show that was that Loki was in the wrong. He was guilty. Can it be both? Uh, absolutely. That's the whole point of the TVA. They want it to be one or the other. I mean, yeah. It can't be both. While you got caught up in the whole, correctly so, the whole thing of him, them saying that he was in the wrong and that can't be right if the Avengers were right, I went down the spiral of Steve's alternate timeline. <laughs> I don't know. I don't I don't I don't like to think about the timelines unless I have to and now I have to because we're in the multiverse. It's it's a headache. I don't suggest it. Yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm just glad that Mobius came in when he did because it made all of that headache stop for a second and I could focus on Owen Wilson again. He does come up to talk to Judge Renslayer. They have like a very flirty conversation, like a very I was gonna say it's very flirty. It was flirty. It was. I, I got some... They're kind of flirty later in the show, too. Yeah, they have something going on there behind closed doors. I don't know if you're there at the TVA and you just, like, never sleep. What are you going to do with your time, I guess? But, no, they got some history there, I have to think. Like, they, they say they're friends all the time, but... Okay, so are Loki and Mobius. They're friends, but obviously they're more than friends. So, Mobius approaches the bench about Loki because he thinks he can be useful to this investigation with all these dead time keeper time no what are they called minutemen Minutemen. yeah they're called minutemen like the disney channel original movie minutemen starring jason dolly (laughs) 
no no association whatsoever to that title disney wouldn't i wish that would be amazing i mean it's disney they should have done a crossover do you know how many times owen wilson was wearing a cowboy hat in the promotional stuff for this for this series and you know how many times he didn't wear one not once in this series single time disney owns the rights to night at the museum and loki do you not think they could have done an overlap just give him a cowboy hat once that's all i'm asking no why have all these properties and not use them in other movies like the most gaudy looking commercials for for things that you've ever seen? Because Free Guy did it and it it was gaudy, but I liked it. So do more of it. Anyways, Mobius approaches the bench about working with Loki or at least talking to him because uh, they're about to like prune Loki because they like to do that. They like to just prune people immediately, which like the vibe. I love that as a job. I do have concerns about i mean i have concerns with all of this don't get me wrong but i have concerns with the chain of command and i feel like this was like the first time where it was just like kind of all fell apart for me in terms of trusting the tva because judge renslayer she gives orders to mobius from the timekeepers so she's like the middleman she relays information from these timekeepers to all the agents she's the middleman for the minutemen yes Say that five times fast. <laughs> but I think that's concerning right off the bat because you have this organization that's like, no, no, you can trust us. But the one person that has communication with the timekeepers, this like all-knowing lizard people, which again, the fact that they were just lizard people was a real red flag from the beginning that just seemed like very bizarre, even though that was the narrative they were spinning. There were these magical lizard people. Um, I think it's weird that there was only one person directly communicating with the timekeepers and we were never seeing that in person. So the fact that she's the only one relaying information probably means that it could be misinformation and there would be no way to tell otherwise if the if the orders she's giving to Mobius are actually what the timekeepers would want to happen or if the timekeepers are even real. So I think this was the first point where I'm like, why is she the only narrative at this point? Like, and she's the middleman. And so when there's a middleman, anything above can be a lie. So I just, I kind of knew from the beginning this timekeeper thing was just a ruse. It also was just really played up and very cartoonish from the start. So I don't know. I think this was definitely just the first suggestion that there's just something going on there on the higher up chain that was not at all faithful to what the TVA was saying the narrative was. Um, I do like that they had her placed right in the middle behind the one uh, in front of the one statue, which does just weirdly looks a lot like Jonathan Majors. I don't know what that's about. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if like the, the props, special effects, people just have a real love for him. He was amazing in Lovecraft County. So yeah, they were just like, you know what? He inspires us. We'll put the statue behind her. It means nothing. Don't look at it. Don't it's think fine. too much about it. Don't think about how he's been cast for something in Ant-Man. Don't, yeah. don't think about it. It's none of it's relevant. None don't put the relevant. clues together that Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is coming up, as is Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania that he is starring in. It's fine. Just don't don't think about it. <laughs> Listen, we, we, we act like these clues were like massive red flags from the start, but I will say Loki was very subtle about putting all these details in. And now that we've watched it, we're like, oh, yeah, that was obvious. But there was a lot that you had to kind of like rewatch and piece together. And, and they were very subtle about it. At the same time, I'm OK if they're not subtle about it, because, again, sometimes I don't see things. I'm very like hit me over the head with it sometimes if you need to. And I, I'm OK with it. 
I don't need subtle. Do you know what one of my favorite callbacks is? It's in this next scene. It's um when Loki is in Mobius or like on the way to the elevator in that scene that we've now seen a million bajillion times of oh them bickering gosh. in the elevator. But anyway, it's before that. And um Loki's like, I'm gonna burn this place to the ground and um Which a vibe. And yeah, and Mobius is like, Whatever, I'll show you my desk. That's where I'll start. And then whatever. And but like the line that burn this to the ground comes back in time by the end of the season, but it's swapped with Mobius and Loki. And I think that that's a really great callback. Oh, I love their relationship. I really the do. Through line. The dynamic is just this um this back half of the episode as we move away from like the courtroom scene is just Mobius and Loki. Like that's all it is. It's just Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston in a room putting their theater skills to the test and just one long monologue yeah. back and forth and they just let them go for it and it, it i thought it was just it's a case where yeah you have these high profile actors that know how to act they know how to do their job they don't need anything helping them just put them in a room together and let them talk and let them dissect each other to the point where when we leave we understand these characters on a fundamental level and i yeah. i love that i oh it's so good like i love mobius is like his curiosity is the perfect foil to Loki's superiority complex. Like he just, he's very good at prying truths out of him with like the psychological trickery that Luke, Loki thinks that he's really good at. But when he's standing before someone that can do it as well, it kind of falls apart for him. He has to rethink his tactics and go low. He can't go high because Mobius is already up on that pedestal the man is literally like the nicest guy in the mcu you can't go higher than him you can't pretend to be better than him so you got to go low and i i love that that this process of watching loki figure that out yeah also the part where you were saying that like the the chain of command with like renslayer like was a red flag for you mine was well one of mine was whenever i think it's when they get off the elevator and Loki's like, oh, so you were made by time lizards and you guard this sacred timeline and you don't know how and like, how long have you been here or whatever? And, and Mobius is like, he doesn't answer him. He just says like, mm-hmm. time moves differently in the TVA. And I was like, mm, that's suspicious. You don't know how long you've been yeah. here. You've just lost track of all of that. Um, but I also want to give a shout out to Loki's composer, Natalie Holt, because there's this oh. really beautiful score when they get off the elevator, I think. And um, he looks over at the like TVA, like the exterior of the TVA um, that looks different from the trailer. Because guess what, people? Effects can change between when trailers are released and when the show comes out. But um, it sounds Spider-Man No Way not. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, the score that plays um, when he's looking at that and he asks Mobius if there's like, he's like says, I thought there's no magic here. And Mobius says that there isn't. And it's like a second where Loki's kind of caught off guard by the weird, like, um, futuristic beauty of the TVA, even though it is creepy and discerning and like weird, it there is a beauty to it. And he he's kind of caught off guard by the fact that there is no magic involved and the score that plays under it sounds a lot like one we would hear in Asgard and that comes up again and again throughout the series um when Tom is monologuing it out um but I I just 
in rewatch. I didn't really catch that the first time I watched the episode or the second time, to be honest, but rewatching it for the podcast, I noticed that scene and it really took me a second to take in how um, impactful that must have been for the character at the time because he hadn't really taken a beat to look around. He had been like, he really doesn't take one after this until the very end of the episode, but it's it's just a second where he takes a second to look around and see where he is, and he's kind of shocked by how, like, vast and, like, beautiful it is in a way, and I really liked that, and Natalie's score is fantastic, and I think that we should talk about how great her work is, because it is. I I completely agree. I think we talked a lot about Henry Jackman in Falcon Winter Soldier and of course with the Winter Soldier film as being like an incredible composer. Um I think Natalie is incredible. She instantly I didn't know her very well before the Loki series and once they released the album on Spotify, I sat down and watched and like listened to it. And it was incredible. Like I, what, listening to it in the show was one thing. Listening to it just on its own, you you felt like you were back in those moments. She pulls a lot from from the Thor movies, but kind of does the spin on them. And I just love I love the stuff that was made for the Loki series. Like the TVA theme song is incredible. There's this very like sci-fi eeriness to like her scores and everything from like the end credit score. I just love the vibe of it. It's so spooky and it, it gets you it gets you on guard. Like it it's definitely eerie and but it's got this playfulness to it, mischievousness that Loki kind of brings to the table. And I, I just think she's incredible. And yeah, I'm excited to like discuss more of her work as we go on because it changes with each episode because we get a lot of different episodes with Loki. We get some bottle episodes in the six episode run, and she adapts with every single one and and pulls out this different score with each episode and i i think her scores affect a lot of what we're feeling because again the tva is a very sterile like building it's it's not friendly it's not there's no emotion in it yeah so there has to be coming from somewhere and it's not coming from the tva agents as much as i love mobius he's just kind of a mouthpiece and he's he's repeating everything that he's been told so really the only thing you can trust in this moment is the soundtrack and even the soundtrack is kind of playing with us a little bit and i i really do love that um i think you made a good point about mobius not really like answering any of loki's questions and i definitely caught this more in the rewatches for the podcast but a lot of again this is a massive monologue there's a lot that goes on in it but i think it's interesting that mobius can see loki deflecting questions and he pushes back on them but at the same time, every time Loki asks a question about the TVA or about Mobius, Mobius doesn't answer him. He often just says, let's get back to you. And Loki doesn't notice because the, Mobius is doing it in such a more subtle way than Loki is back to him that it's very hard to catch. And and so there's another red flag right off the bat of like, he's telling us what we need to hear about the tva but when it comes to like harder questions like there's a question at one point that said oh did this have the tva's stamp of approval then i was allowed to do this and he's like it doesn't really work like that we don't really decide but even then we don't and he doesn't really answer it and then when loki presses further he goes let's get back to you though and i i love the dialogue because it just keeps it's a tennis match back and forth between the two characters but it always comes back to loki like mobius knows he as we're learning, he has dealt with Lokis and he knows exactly how to play them. And it shows because he just 
keeps going back to Loki and pressing him further. And I, I just love that. I love everything this episode, this, this scene does for the dialogue between them because it, again, strips Loki completely of that character from Avengers in a matter of minutes. Yeah, and I think there, there's, a th- there's two lines that I love in this scene um, that Mobius says. And one of them is that he calls... <laughs> One of them is that he calls Loki a little pussycat because Loki, like, he talks all big and he's like, I am the worst thing you'll ever talk to. Like, I'm so evil and big. And Mobius is like, you're just a little pussycat. And I was like, that's so funny. I never noticed that the first time I watched it. I was like, that's such a funny way to, like, patronize him. But then he, like, he doesn't. He didn't mean it in that way because later, um when Mobius is, like, grilling him, Loki's guards up completely, and he's throwing up all these defense mechanisms, and he's like, well, I am smart, and Mobius just says, I know, and, like, the way Owen Wilson says that, I was like, oh my god, I believe him, I believe that he's a good person, yeah, like, he was so earnest and like it 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 made me think that he knew loki more than we knew loki and more than loki maybe knew loki and i i i don't know i he got me there because i was like like you said he might he we don't we don't know anything about him at this point and he's just a mouthpiece but it's he's so earnest that it makes me want to believe him which is the whole point and owen wilson does it so well he does that delivery of like i know you are he just says it so earnestly and and you believe him because yeah there's no doubt he he's not trying to trick loki as much as he is tricking loki in the moment and us he's not trying to manipulate loki in the sense of making him feel like a lesser person he's just trying it, it all amounts to he's basically trying to see if loki has any humanity in him that he can draw out to use um and with that, he has to, you know, kind of kind of show that he's not looking for bad parts of that. He's not trying to draw out the villain of Loki. And I, I just, he's so earnest about it. I hate his delivery of that because it's so good. Yeah. But we also get, which a lot of people wanted this. And when we got it, I think it hurt a lot of people. So I don't know why we asked for it. But it, it was an assumption that because the TVA is an all-knowing being, they have access to people's entire lives including their birth and their death and so we do get a film reel shown of loki's greatest hits including everything from frigga's death to loki's death to thor's bonding with loki it's all very emotional in the way that like it's a clip show to catch us up on the other movies that they're not allowed to talk about and to kind of speed up Loki's redemption arc by showing him that he is capable of these emotions. But it's done in the span of like five minutes and it's really emotionally devastating in a lot of ways. Like just to see him have to react to his own actions and he can't stop himself is really hard. Especially I'm glad they played on on Frigga. I'm glad they brought her into this and made it such a pivotal moment of the episode and of his growth going forward. Because that really was the one relationship that Loki did show growth with in the films, the earlier ones, and was human with, was his mom. And the fact that he kills her in the second Thor movie is such a huge point because it basically was like the most devastating thing he ever did to himself. I 
always wished that there was more of her in the MCU. So even though this is like reusing stuff we've already seen, I'm really glad that they brought it in because you can kind of see like like they have to rush up his development, which I wish they didn't have to. I wish these like the episodes were they had more episodes longer. or and they were longer. Um but it it was a nice way to kind of poke a bunch of holes in his guard and and pull that down a bit and then to have it come full circle like whenever he escapes and then comes back and he watches the rest of it and you see him like mourn the redemption that he'll never have and like the life with Thor that he'll never have and Tom Hiddleston is such a brilliant actor that you like see the devastation and like i mean honestly also the like the elation like you can see the joy that he feels that there was an option in which him and thor could have been close and that there's a place in time when thor would have hugged him and it's it strips away that dictator loki and it reveals a person who is striving for human connection with the people that he thinks that he like that he loves the most and um it's it's a really emotional way to end an episode i mean and that's not the note we go out on but if if they would have ended it there for me that would have been great i know they need a cliffhanger because it's marvel Mm -hmm. um but i just think the fact that we see with like bucky and the falcon and the winter soldier sam is a lot more reserved which i think is on purpose for that character and the story that they were telling but to see like the way that Bucky was so vulnerable especially in like Wakanda and then we see that with Vision I mean he's a robot but we see it with Vision a little bit and like WandaVision but to see Loki this person that was built up as this like untouchable god who is the epitome of everything and he he's he has no emotion in that regard to see him have that sort of breakthrough where he can allow himself the vulner the space to be vulnerable is really powerful to watch and i don't think that anyone could have convinced me that loki was capable of that besides tom hiddleston it was it's just a really well done moment to include in a pilot of a show that has to get people on board with this character that you're basically pressing the reset button on i think that it's a really smart scene to include yeah, absolutely. I think having this greatest hits moment and, and hitting on the right moments because they could have picked other moments that weren't as impactful. And so I think they they chose the right highlights. I will not get into the D.B. Cooper thing because as much as it was a fun little Thor bet with him, it made no sense to me. Other than that, we got Tom Hiddleston in a very good looking suit. It was very random. I wish shows would stop putting D.B. Cooper t- storylines in there. They do that all the time. I feel like that was just for also for like shits and giggles with like the trailer because in the trailer we don't know that that's the context of the scene but he's jumping out of that plane and he's like talking about Thor and Heimdall so I think that that was supposed to be like a pull to think people that maybe to think to convince people that maybe like Chris Hemsworth and Idris Elba would be in the show which I never thought would be a reality (laughs) because that would pull away from the focus of Loki and ruin the whole idea of the series. Yeah, I think that's probably why they included it. I think it's also like a silly little inside joke, but I think that they probably thought that it'll get some eyes if they include that in the trailer. Yeah, it wasn't my favorite part of that that reel, but I, I do think I was all but forgotten by the end when we got to hear. I, I thought it was in true Marvel form. 
They have, of course, had to include the neck snapping sound of like Loki dying when he's being strangled. And I just thought that. Oh my God, yes. Yeah, it was so brutal. And he like, cr- he just like gasps. He makes like this gasping noise when he hears it. And I'm just like, oh my God, you're killing me, Marvel. <sighs> and then. If as if it couldn't get worse, they also during the greatest hits as a point Mobius makes to Loki about because the whole point is he's trying to get Loki to admit that he doesn't kill because he enjoys it. it he kills because it's the ultimate power move for the week, and I think that's a great overarching theme for this episode of like pushing him to admit that. But why does Mobius have to use Phil Coulson's death? <laughs> Like, it was so unnecessary and rude and just an attack on us more than anything. Like, the fact that he was just like, oh, but you killed Phil Coulson. And then they show it. I'm just like, that's really unnecessary. Like, I just don't need you to do that to me. It makes me laugh because you know that Owen Wilson has no idea who Phil Coulson is. He has no idea. Like, the man thought Aquaman was in Marvel. And I I get it. I totally get it. If you don't know what Marvel is, you don't know what the... like. And Michael Keaton's the same way. Like, if we're going to make fun of Owen Wilson, Michael Keaton also does not know anything about the movies he's in. Like, so Morbius, funny. he didn't know anything about that movie. And they just throw him in there, and he does his lines, and he leaves. And it's like, you know what? Secure that bag. These these actors that have been in this industry for how many years now having to come in and do these wild superhero movies and secure that bag, they don't care. They go home to their lives that are probably a lot more peaceful because they're not debating which spider-man is the best spider-man every day of their lives is probably really nice so good for them so we move on from the greatest hits it escalates to loki escaping from this room i think there's a really cool part where we think mobius is controlling the situation and he helps loki up off the floor and it wasn't pointed out until a couple rewatches later for a lot of people so it was very slyly done but when Loki's getting up, he puts his hand in Mobius's pocket and takes the remote away from him. And it's so slyly done and it's not brought back to until he escapes. So unless you're looking and you actually see him make that hand movement, you don't see him take the remote off Mobius. And Mobius doesn't react to it. So I thought it was a really sly move. And then he, Mobius immediately goes into conversation with Hunter B-15. So... I thought that was a very mischievous way of showing like Loki's still playing his game on his own terms um, when Mobius isn't looking. So I liked that. But Loki ends up escaping. He has his own little prison break and he he runs through the halls of the TVA. Um, He does walk by at one point a Agent Carter, Peggy Carter lookalike. She's wearing like an outfit from one of the Agent Carter promotional photos. I don't know what the consensus was on this. I do believe it was supposed to look like Peggy Carter, and it was probably promotional for What If, or maybe just a callback to Agent Carter. I don't think it was more than that. I don't think it was meant to have like a lot of depth, but I do think it was supposed to look like Peggy. Yeah, I don't think that it has any meaning. I think it's just, it's probably, they probably didn't even do it on purpose, to be honest. <laughs> it's probably just somebody who- You never know with them. Accidentally looks like her. Um, before we move into his break, like his prison break, I want to bring attention to the fact that Loki, no, that Mobius says that Loki is only born to cause pain and suffering and death, that he exists to serve the, the narratives of other characters. And I think that that's such a weird meta comment to make in a series that's mm-hmm. now about him, because that's the whole point of these Disney Plus series is it's taking these characters that existed to 
to like move like the Tony Stark and Steve Rogers of the world around. Now that they're getting their own shows, they're getting to be like their own people. Because like Wanda and Vision had like two seconds of screen time and Loki existed to move Thor along. And Sam and Bucky existed for Steve's purposes and stuff. And I think it's such a weird, funny meta comment to be like, you only existed to help these people be heroes. And now you're here. And I'm like, yep, that's what's happening with every single Disney Plus show. <laughs> it's so true with Loki because he really, like, his misfortune is literally what has allowed majority of the first two phases to progress, which is so funny in a way and, and ironic that every time he fails, someone succeeds. And it was really just, like, a, a good commentary on, like, you're the villain. You're not supposed to win. Like, why do you bother? And I, I like that that kind of, like, taking a very deliberate swing at the antagonist of a, of a movie franchise in such a deliberate way. I also like that we see when Loki is on his prison break run and he's running through the hallways that he finds himself in this like office where they're storing all of the artifacts that they've been keeping from prisoners that come into the TVA and we get to meet, we meet him earlier in the show, but we get to meet him officially here so loki walks up to a desk and uh a guy named casey is there who's played by <laughs> eugene cordero who i love um but i also like that it's it's Pillboy from the good place and again there's so many good place references in the show and themes of philosophy um that i just think it's funny that of all the characters they could have in the show they have Pillboy. And Casey is, he stole my heart, okay? I love this character. I wish we could have seen more of him because he's just so ridiculous. When Loki threatens him and he's like, I will, I'll, I'll kill you with a fish. And then Casey just delivers this line. Like, Eugene, he does such a good job of this. He says, what's, what's a fish? And then he gets his voice really low and he whispers, he's like, what's a fish? And he just like <laughs> is panicking. Like, he's just like, Loki's like saying he's going to kill him if he doesn't give him what he wants. And he's just sitting there like, what? what is a fish like what what is this and i just i love him he's so adorable and, and innocent and and later when like b15 attacks him and like you know prunes his cart which i would love to know where that cart went and if it had infinity stones in it and if anyone acquired those infinity stones at some point wait doesn't everything that doesn't everything that gets pruned go to that like point in time yeah it goes to a weird little dimension so i'm like was there was that point where they all end up yeah i'm interested to know if there were infinity stones on that cart and if someone ended up getting those when they went to this other dimension and because they would work there so i'm very interested to see if that storyline will ever come up again it probably won't um but i like that I like Casey a lot, and I wish we could have seen more of him because he's just a lovable little dork, and he's just you know he's just trying to do his nine to five job. He's not he's not trying to to shake up any any hierarchies or anything. But um, we also see in his desk he has like a shit ton of Infinity Stones, which coming right off the back end of Avengers Endgame and Infinity War, this hurt. This felt personal. Okay, the fact that there's just the, the infinity stones are sitting in this drawer um one of the mind stone the only mind stone is being used as a paperweight while vision is like dead do not it's even just... get me started i could have vision <laughs> back wanda could have vision back and it's just i cannot the the rage that boiled in my veins when i saw this for the first time i was like you've got to be kidding me you could be giving mm -hmm. Paul Bettany future employment and me future happiness, and you're denying me of that. For what? A paperweight? 
cruel and unusual punishment is what that is. It really is. They thought it was a really funny joke, but no, it does serve a, a better purpose, unfortunately, because it's all about Loki. Even though Loki has gone through a lot of growth in these last couple minutes in terms of seeing his life play <laughs> over for him, he's still so funny. He went through so much literally... growth in the last couple minutes. <laughs> he did. He did. But at least they didn't. They pull back a little bit with this in terms of like he's still very like hungry for power. He hasn't given up on the throne part of this. He's just shifting his dynamics and and coming up with a new plan as he's going and so we kind of see it form here that he realizes that the tva is possibly the greatest power in the universe if they can have a whole drawer of infinity stones which for so long loki thought was like the ultimate power i mean thanos thought that too so his new plan is just take over the tva which like looking at casey he thinks he can do it what you know which is an accurate assumption because casey's just his pens are leaking through his shirt, like the poor man. So that's kind of his game plan going forward. Do we ever really revisit that game plan? I don't know. We'll have to see. But he does end up returning to the room that he he kind of gives up for the time being. And he returns to that film room. He does end up watching his death, which is, again, just a really horrible, sad scene. Um, I think it is important to note that he takes the Tesseract with him. The Tesseract in the Loki series has a very specific hum to it um this is again alternate footage from avengers endgame and loki where in avengers endgame the tesseract doesn't really hum that much but in loki it does and the minute that loki figures out the tesseract is useless to him in the tva it actually stops humming the the hum dims away so it's almost like the hum was always in loki's head and it was kind of his idealism of you know this cube being the ultimate power and meaning so much to him and the minute it didn't have any power and it didn't it was he didn't care about it it kind of lost that appeal and that hum i never noticed that it's really cool it's such a faint detail but like those those details are there and i love that they put that in but yeah we get this final scene with loki and mobius and essentially loki admits in a very powerful i think i i like this scene the most because it's we see loki at his most vulnerable but he's also kind of doing it to kind of win over mobius wait 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 before that can we talk about how he got the time twister thing and put the the collar on hunter b15 oh and then like and then the female gaze popped back up again when he had the the time twister and he was just whipping you know just like every hair whip loki's on i think loki fights b15 though and he also ends up on his knees at one point and flips his hair back yep see these things matter for anybody that continues to put that pose in these shows thank you you're doing god's work you bucky really did are. it a few times he did it was mm, it was great choreography it really was that's what <laughs> i care about in a fight scene you know yep. um but yes yeah, so after that, we do get much more serious scene um, where Loki basically admits in what's probably the first time in the whole MCU, because even though Loki had growth in Ragnarok, he did not really fully admit the type of overlord he was or why he killed. He never had that conversation with Thor so much because even in Ragnarok, he was having a redemption arc, but it was kind of more comedic in in timing and and in the arc itself um but here he's just stripped and he's open and he's gotta he's gotta find a way to get out of this and he's got to be raw with mobius because i think he realizes that mobius can see through him and he's got to be honest with him so by him just fully admitting that that persona that he has and that the way he you know kills people that he doesn't enjoy it he's simply just a weak person and i think that was a really big step 
for Loki, even though he's just telling him what he wants to hear, he admits that he is not a powerful person. He is a very weak leader and that he has to do these things in order to prove to people that he has power over them. And it's a weak bid for, for power and for leadership. And I mean, it's all true and it, it hits home. And I think it's a character dissection by the character himself that we really needed to just hear out loud. And it's a good way to cap off the episode. Yeah. I like um, Tom's delivery of that line because um, when he says, because it's part of the illusion, it's the cruel elaborate trick conjured by the weak to inspire fear. When he says the word weak, Tom gestures to his own self. Like he, Mm -hmm. and then he, when he says, to inspire fear he gestures to mobius and i just love little choices like that because it makes this character so much more interesting he's a depthful character he's tangible now like we can yeah. see those layers have already been shed he's not a good he's not in any way even morally gray yet but there's that thing you can latch on to like he understands that 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 character is not a real person and that he's just doing that in order to get what he wants in life and and i think it all stems from thor being the hero and him always being kind of cast in the shadow and having to fight for that that attention and everything and i mean it all stems back from father issues it always does but i think it's a great way to close out this episode and demonstrate to us that the series is willing to have those conversations and have it actually mean something for the character and and even though we're not going down the ragnarok way we're going to go on a meaningful arc for loki and i so i love that and um we close off with kind of a cliffhanger because again it's marvel and you have to have a cliffhanger in the first episode but uh essentially we've been building to this realization that the there's a variant killing the minutemen and trying to take over the tva and that variant is in fact a loki confirming that there are other lokis out there that's all we get for that episode we don't get to know if it's a multiversal Loki, if it's another version of Loki, we don't know that yet. Um, but we get a really creepy scene following that with a hooded figure who burns a bunch of Minutemen alive in a very Loki, you know, way. And the way that we just heard him say he does to, to get power, we see this this version of Loki kill a group of Minutemen doing that exact thing. And uh, it was very haunting and creepy and had a horror aspect to it that I liked that were again playing off of the Doctor Strange multiverse of madness kind of vibes and I like that yeah and then as soon as we saw that the theories already started about like Lady Loki and Enchantress and gender fluid Loki and everything the floodgates opened it was so fun yes yeah this this was the beginning of a journey of a lot of theories that would or would not come true for people um and it didn't help because right off of this comes the end credit scene. I will say I really liked WandaVision's end credits. I like this one a lot too. I think it's got a lot of Easter eggs in it. It's got that kind of like office, sterile office, 70s vibe to it. You know, it's got all the paperwork on the desk, the typewriters, the cabinets. It's kind of taking us to the TVA from a different angle, but it's got so many Easter eggs in it. Like so many and random numbers and equations. Schrodinger's equation is also thrown in there. And I just, I don't know. It's really fun just to dissect that that end credit scene alone. And again, the score for the end credit scene is my favorite score of the whole series. I love that that screeching, you know, violin that comes right up at the end of the episode. Perfect. And um, yeah, I think... I think seeing the Mind Stone as a paperweight was a real, real hit to the gut on that one. Um, there's some cool little 
things like we see the elevator going up in the floors and then it hits one EJ and it actually says access denied. So obviously there's a floor that the TVA doesn't allow access to, which is real sketchy again. And I, I did watch the end of this because I was like, is there an end credit? I don't trust them anymore with end credit <laughs> scenes. I know the most, most of the time it's at the end of the series, but I, I, you have to double check every episode. Um, there wasn't an end credit scene for this, uh, this, this episode, but there was a little treat at the end for anybody that did watch to the very end of the credits um, where Rada's like second credits are rolling to an end. Miss Minute's voice comes up. And she basically says, like, thanks for visiting the TVA. Let us, don't hesitate to let us know how we're doing. Okay. And I just, I I can't without that stupid clock. Oh, I don't think they're doing great. But Loki, I think Loki did a pretty damn good job of this pilot. Yeah, me too. I was hesitant. Very hesitant. And they won me over, so... All right, everyone, that was our discussion of episode one of season one, because we now know that we're getting a season two of Loki. It's called Glorious Purpose, and that is now reframed for us forever for Loki. We have a new definition of what his glorious purpose will be. So that's exciting. Alicia. Oh, I'm supposed to die. I wanted you to riff off of me. And you oh, weren't shit. you weren't riffing. Oh shit. I'm not riffing. Okay. Glorious purpose. Yes, I think that his glorious purpose was a hot mess and I quite enjoyed watching it crumble before <laughs> us. You liked the chaos. Because who doesn't love a villain that just falls apart in his own chaos? It's I that embrace is, the chaos. He is the god of mischief, so He's just sticking to his brand. Anyway, we will continue our coverage of the Loki episodes for the remaining five episodes of the season. So keep looking back in your subscriptions. Check back. We'll keep you updated. And we occasionally do watch parties on Scener. Um, if we do one, you should follow our socials, which we will get to in one second. And we will make sure that we let you all know before we do those so you can join our senior parties and talk all things Loki with us. We critically review Loki and several other Marvel shows in the process. Uh, we also did Falcon Winter Soldier, but you can catch our reviews of Loki on mine are on Telltale TV and Shelby's are on Fangirlish. So if you would like to hear more of our thoughts on episode one and the rest of the series, you can check them out on those websites. We will link them in the description of this podcast and our socials. If you'd like to hit us up there and let us know all your thoughts on the God of Mischief, whether or not you enjoyed this season, what you would like from season two, you can catch us on Instagram at super into it podcast, Twitter at super into it underscore our email is superintuitpodcast at gmail.com if you want to hit us up with that hot tea in the emails. And our scener is at superintuit. Thanks, Shelby. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I wasn't ready. You weren't ready. You weren't ready for that tea. <laughs> This has been Super Into It. And we are super into Loki.
And Hawkeye. And Ted Lasso. Always Ted Lasso. Forever Ted Lasso. Jason! Do not put that at the end of the episode. I know you do not do it. I might have already stopped the recording. I might not have.